Hello, Yema. Thank you so much for joining us on Please Elaborate. We have a very fun discussion that we're talking about today. I'm, I have been itching to get into this for so long. It is a topic that is uncomfortable for many, but necessary for all. And it's the topic of sexuality um, and how to have a discussion around sexuality, specifically pertaining to Christianity and faith-based communities and the LGBTQ community. Because while PE isn't necessarily a religious organization, you cannot have a discussion about how America views sexuality without talking about faith and the religious aspect of it. So I just want to welcome Yema. And on her Instagram, she's Coach Yema. And I'll link it below. She is a Christian sexuality coach. And she helps LGBTQ plus Christian professionals heal fear and doubt so that they can feel confident in their relationships with God. That is a heck of a task. Yema, how are you? I'm doing amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. I am I'm thrilled to have you. Do you want to share a little bit of your story and how you got into this career path? Absolutely. Well, I help the people I wish I had when I was going through reconciling my faith and my sexuality. Um, I knew that I was bi later in my teen years. And somewhere in the middle there, going to college, I recommitted myself to God after college and, you know, said, God's not affirming of LGBTQ plus people, but, you know, um, I want to serve God. So I put that to the wayside and I went to Bible college and I got a degree, a master's in biblical studies, working in the ministry. And then I fall in love with a woman. And I'm looking at God and asking God, well, what happened? Uh, I thought I would do all the right things. I would come and serve you and give my life to you. And the church told me that you would take away these attractions, that you would take away this feeling. Um, Where is this coming from? Am I not saved? And so I went through a, a sort of deconstruction. I didn't have the word for it then, but it was a deconstructing of my faith, but never my relationship with God. And that's the thing that's kept me throughout. And that's really what I help my clients do. But I went through the whole thing of suicidal thoughts and ideations and the deep depression, just being very confused, feeling disconnected from God. And at the end of that process, it was actually God who called me out and God asked me, um, when was I going to finally accept myself? And so it was a supernatural encounter that I had with God that really put me where I am right now, that I can speak to this topic and to this, um, this journey that a lot of us who are queer find ourselves in, because we all didn't grow up in the affirming, I would say most of us didn't grow up in an affirming home or an affirming church, bless all those who were, um, come over and help and give us some of that goodness, okay, um, but most of us didn't, and so that is the, the work that I do. And it's a labor of love that I do with God, because for me in my relationship with God, being called to do this work, God told me, go tell my children, I love them, like call them back home. And so that's really exactly what I do. That is incredible. That is incredible. And I'm sure everyone watching now, I want to just address what I can already sense <laughs> people mm -hmm. watching would say to your story, um, and I'm sure you've heard it, and I would just love for you to speak into it. I can already tell that some people might hear your story or anyone's story that's similar and say, um, love the person, hate the sin, or, um, you know, I'm sure he's a great person, but 
what she believes is wrong, having this really definitive belief that who I can tell, I can have, I can sense that someone listening might feel very um, immediately defensive and immediately wanting to make us make a claim about something that is perhaps out of their realm of knowledge. What would you, what would you say to a response like that? How would you, how would you respond? Well, I would begin with trying to get an understanding of what they believe about the Bible. Cause we have the clobber passages, right? We all know Leviticus. We all know Romans. We know um, Timothy Corinthians. We know those scriptures very well, but we don't have an understanding of those scriptures. Um, maybe some of your listeners or viewers know this, or maybe they don't, that even the word homosexuality was added to the Bible in 1946. My father was born in 1948. Like that is a very, very, very new idea to even begin um, talking about sexuality as a part of your personhood. Before this time, early 20th century, these conversations weren't even happening. And so just even removing yourself from specifically the conversation about homosexuality and moving it just more broadly to talk about sexuality at all, the fact that scientists and biologists didn't even know the full anatomy of a clitoris until mid-1990 is just a clue in to let us know I did not know that. I did not know that. I did not know that. 1990, as in like 30 years ago. Yes. Okay. So some of us were were born way before, because I'm an 80s baby, way before that happened. So even just hearing that, your pastors and your leaders coming from, I'm sure I'm going to assume and make a positive assumption, coming from a pure place, we're not being taught about sexuality and sexual orientation or sexuality even as pleasure because just being a woman if you're listening if you identify as female you weren't even included in the conversation about sexuality and pleasure before so just from that broader perspective there is not a wide range or a depth of understanding that our pastors and our leaders would have that would be teaching you what the scripture says. And you may say, oh, well, I don't need to know all of that to really hear, um, to understand what the scripture is saying. You absolutely do. Because if it's an uninformed conversation, if you don't know and your pastors don't know that sexuality and sexual orientation was not even a discussion or an idea in the early 20th century, and that's where all your theology is coming from, and you're imposing that, on the scripture because you're taking scripture and bringing it into this day. So if it wasn't talked about until the 20th century, most certainly back in 30, 60 AD, sexual orientation in the way that you understand it now, we understand it was not part of the conversation. So I would, I mean, it's a, it's a, I like to start conversations with, with questions, but if someone was, you know, as you're listening now to me um, explaining this to you, one of the key um, ways that we need to know how to understand the Bible is we have to put things in context. And we always have to ask the question, who is the audience that this person was writing to? What was the surrounding culture at the time that they were writing to, right? In order to understand it. So if you take 
what you see maybe at, you know, we're in Pride Month at the time of this recording. If you take what you might see at a Pride Parade and, and, and superimpose it on Leviticus 18, that is not the same conversation. Right. That's just broadly, right? Me being having a master's in biblical studies and being obsessed with the Bible. Um, when you go deeper into those scriptures, they're not at all talking about what you think they're talking about, right? And so, yes, absolutely. Hate the sin, love the sinner, wonderful, beautiful. But now from just take it from the scientific perspective and just psychology and sexuality, let's just bring it over to the gospel. If I'm a believer, I'm no longer considered a sinner. So who's the sinner that you're loving? Not me. I'm a believer, right? I have faith in Jesus. The only thing that Jesus asked me to do was to believe and that I would be saved. Not for me to clean up what you think is sin, a behavior, because Jesus is not in the business of behavior modification, okay? So if, if you're loving the sinner, you're not loving me because I'm not a sinner. If you're hating the sin, you're not hating my sin. I don't have any sin. I am the righteousness of Christ in God. So I don't know. That's not even a conversation we're having. I see so at every- dating it, yeah. Right. So at every single level, it's just Hosea 4.6 right? It's a lack of knowledge that's causing us to perish. And so you saying the hate the sin, you know, love the sinner, it would have to be a longer, deeper conversation. And if someone who is queer and Christian listening to this, I always tell my clients in my community, do not engage in conversations like this, unless that person on the other end have made an emotional deposit into your life that has confirmed and affirmed to you that they're desiring a connection and relationship and not a debate on your humanity yeah okay so there's boundaries that need to be put around these conversations as well that is an incredible answer and a lot harder I think a lot harder yes the temptation especially in American culture we talk a lot on PE about the concept of individualism and how there is this temptation especially in America to uh, debate instead of dialogue. And when you go into a conversation, I'm, I'm not interested in learning. I'm interested in telling you why you're wrong. And that is how we tend to go into dialogue. And what you were just saying about just the tactile, um, it, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be a person of faith and, and I understand that not everyone watching this is a person of faith, but faith being such a huge part of how America views sexuality, if you're right. going to bring faith into the conversation you can't do it halfway. You need to really do your due diligence. If you're going to go through the Bible, you got to, you got to cut all the way through. Right. Um, I always use the example of people always say, you know, women and leader, women shouldn't be leaders based on, uh, you know, second Timothy. And I'm like, well, women of that time couldn't read and write. They shouldn't have been mm-hmm. leading anywhere. <laughs> they couldn't own a book. Right. Um, that's no longer the case. So it doesn't make sense for us to abide by. And so you have to look, if you're going to use the Bible, you got to use the whole thing. Right. Um, which brings me to my next question that I really want to get into with you, because I think this is pertinent for anyone, no matter what you believe faith-wise, um, if you live in America, you have heard of or have some sort of opinion around LGBTQ and queer theology. I mean, I just feel like no matter what, someone has an opinion on it. Um, and the question I had I'd posed to you was, you know, it's no surprise that the fundamentalist Christianity was a huge influence on the formation of American ideology and politics surrounding LGBTQ. Um, where, where has this ideology affected LGBTQ community the most? Uh, yeah, basically, the, the, I know that um, 
American history and the Christian roots of the American, the formation of this country have inevitably, have inevitably influenced how we view sexuality. Absolutely. How has that affected the LGBTQ community for the, for the, the worst, I guess? I mean, the entire thing is affected <laughs> for the worst, right? Because from the, the Christian fundamentalist uh, ideology, and if anyone wants a more in-depth um, look at this, please look up Kathy Balduck. She wrote a book called Bridging, um, Walking the Bridgeless Canyon, and she has um, a seminar also on YouTube about unraveling the actual point when the politics became intermingled with fundamentalism and Christianity. And so, and all of that is very recent, okay? If you're wondering why we're, as a nation, so obsessed with abortion and homosexuality, it was from this era of time when politicians needed America to sway in one way for a party and they picked two issues, okay? That proved to be working to incite um, people to show up to the poll. So it wasn't anything that was, oh, wow. we're really concerned about this. It was, no, we need more people to vote, right? And so that is really the true political roots of where fundamentalism came into um, the system, right? But even before that, if people believe that America is a Christian nation and have been teaching from the Bible, these ideologies have been seeped into the system. And it's not Christianity that is seeped into the system of America, right? It is this patriarchal, white evangelical, um, it's not even, a. it's, you know what, it is a religion, but it's almost like I don't want to say cult. I feel that that may be a, a little strong. Um, specific brand or a specific strand of iteration of. It's, it's like a hate group to me, right? Because it's so in the system. It is not just for LGBTQ people because homophobia um, was exported along with evangelicalism. Like they took that into other nations. I'm originally from Africa. I'm from Liberia, West Africa, right? And so I see the effects not of evangelicalism just in America, but how through I'm going to go be a missionary, they exported their hate along with them and seeped it into other cultures that are not just America. And so even in some African countries right now, they have this belief that um, being homophobic is something that's embedded in African culture and in our, in our makeup. And it's not true, but it's because when the missionaries went forth, they criminal, like you were killed for doing anything that they felt was against the Bible, which wasn't the original spirituality of the nations that they colonized. Yeah. And so this colonization of our sexuality isn't just, again, for LGBTQ plus people. It is for women. It is for African. It is for Black people that this hateful theology, because it's really what it is. It's not even a theology, really. I don't know what, it, I don't know what to call it at this point. Ideology. But this, this idea, exactly, this ideology that's been exported worldwide. And so when it comes to it's specifically harming the LGBTQ plus community. It's because the European colonizers have always been uncomfortable with sexuality in a whole, right? It's something that they weren't comfortable with bodies. Like they went, you know, to Africa and saw um, women walking around with their breasts and their bodies being out in the sun. 
and assume because they were not wearing what they call clothes, right, that these people were less than human. And so this idea that if you have an other sexuality, it means that you're less than human, which is in the church and makes it very easy for people who are Christian, the nationalists in America to other and to hate the queer community because you're not seen as human at the core. That's really what it is. Right. And so it's not a, it's not a a surface cue. I don't agree with you. There's a deep, um, a deep hate and othering of people who are different that doesn't just stop at my sexuality. It doesn't just stop at my, my race or my ethnicity, not even stop at my gender because yeah. it's all of those things. If you're not white, male, and cis, you have a problem. And this is why trans women of color are the most harmed in our community. It's like they're everything, they're the exact opposite of what a white cis male is. And America believes that, I mean, they've formed the nation to kind of say that this is true, but if you're anything but this, then you don't deserve to live. And at the end of the day, that's that ideology that we hear in church that gets internalized that has us go into spaces of feeling suicidal or because the message, um, and just to take it scripturally, the Bible calls it the ministry of condemnation. When you start to preach laws that people do this and don't do that, that's condemnation. So it doesn't, it's, it makes perfect sense that when it trickles down to someone who is like me, who is queer in the church and loves Jesus and you're condemning me, it definitely feels like there's no room for me, not just in the church, but in the world, right? So I just want to recap just because what you were saying is so good. And I want to, I want to make sure I understand. So what you're saying is, and this is, this is so new to me that I'm learning as you're talking Mm -hmm. is the topic of, and the hesitation and uncomfortability and rejection of being gay or being part of being queer, that idea that if you're a Christian, you should be uh, against being queer. That idea is very new. And Christianity has been around for thousands of years. And in other parts of the world, queer theology, from what I understand, was normal. And there was some queer theology in other countries, but this Western, newer Christian theology decided to be against queer theology. And therefore, anyone in America who grew up in the church, that's all they know. All they know is this very new ideology to be against LGBTQ and see being gay as a sin. And to them or to someone listening, they might feel that because they've been taught that and they've known that and, you know, our country is, you know, 200 years old, that it's that it's an embedded truthful theology, but it's not. It's actually very new and is a small part of the long strand of Christian theology that's been LGBTQ affirming. And really that small ideology contradicts the majority of Christianity that has been very open to and accepting of LGBTQ. Is that correct? Or I wouldn't say the whole strand of it has been accepted. Okay. I would say in those other nations, their own spirituality, not embedded in Christianity, the one God, Jesus, and all of that, were 
and have been, their cultures are just accepting. It. it wasn't a thing that was a thing until the colonizer came along and said, it's a thing. So it wasn't even rooted in Christianity. It was just a culture. No, it wasn't. It was just, this is who you are. I mean, look, in even in India, there's, um, what is it? The third, the third gender. That's just accepted. Right. It's not right. like a big deal. Even in Hawaii, right? There are other genders that are just, and sexuality that are just accepted. It's not a thing. I see. Right? It didn't become a thing until white colonizers said, that's a thing. And the one God, if you want to, you know, not go to hell, right? Because that's the, the thing. Right. Don't right. go to hell, right? Yep. If you don't want to go to hell, don't do this thing. And not just don't do it, but don't associate yourself with people who do this thing. Got it. And so Western white theology right. uh, originating from Europe, mm-hmm. then that, that, so those white Christians decided because sexuality made them uncomfortable that being queer would be a sin and mm-hmm. then brought that theology to america and it's mm-hmm. all america knows it's That's all america knows it's all we know and so yeah. it would be it's normal but it's not it doesn't make it right and how right. yes okay so that makes a lot of sense and i think that would be for me that's very insightful and i feel like for those that are wanting to learn more about this or who maybe would identify as, you know, if you are listening to this and you identify as Christian and you have previously been, um, uh, had kind of a, a really definitive opinion on this and were, you know, against being LGBTQ, right. encourage you to, to wonder where, has, where did that theology come from? Or do you believe that because you grew up in America and you are part of, but a small bunch of Christians when there are so many others Mm-hmm. cultures that are Christian that are open to and just accept the spectrum of sexuality right that is very very insightful I think that's one of those aha moments that I can tell people might be having as they're listening because <laughs> it's really hard to admit I think yeah. I would imagine for someone if you yeah. I didn't grow up Christian so I don't really struggle with that I, it's not hard for me to see that but I would imagine if you grew up Christian mm-hmm. or even you know evangelical more specific branch of Christianity that could be really hard to acknowledge because you think, oh my God, have I been, have I gotten it wrong? And I think acknowledging that you got it wrong is better than never acknowledging it at all. (laughs) You know, and all we can do is is get better. Um, Right. And being comfortable with even just asking the question of where did this start or where did this come from? Yes. Right. Know the beginnings of a thing and you are able to, and I'm telling you, Kathy Baldick, it's a couple of hours long, but it's so insightful to just go and look and see that this thing where, I mean, it's our people in our generation, this thing started with the people who are still alive were alive. So it's not something gone, ages gone by. This was 1940s, 1950s. So recent. So recent. So recent. Okay. And that kind of goes into the next question that I wanted to ask you about the faith community and our, uh, what we see as an uncomfortability talking about LGBTQ. And it's, yeah, uh, yeah, why is the faith community in America so uncomfortable talking about sexuality? Is it a fear of letting go of traditional beliefs? Is it a deep-rooted fear of eternal damnation? Is it a hesitancy? You know, what I see sometimes is our churches or religious communities hesitant to talk about it for fear of eternal damnation 
or loss of high high donors in their church. Those are the two that I would imagine would be big ticket items. But what do you see? Why are or why are large faith organizations and churches so resistant to talking about sexuality? I actually had this conversation. Um, I used to work in the large Christian organization and. During my last week, I was on my way out. Actually, while working there, I wrote a book called Good Sex that was very, very uh, spicy for them. Um, but so when I asked this question to this leader, um, to this white male leader, he was very comfortable. Um, he knew where I was coming from to ask this question because I had the same, the same question. Why, if this is a gift from God, it's so difficult for you to talk about it? And he told me it's because many of those people behind those pulpits are, are struggling, as Christians would say, with sexual sin, right? They're struggling. And so they don't want to, it's very, it's way more personal, right? Than we think it's like this large scale, uh, whatever it is, because how often are we hearing over and over different reports that are coming from churches where people in power, men in power are abusing their power because sexual harm, sexual abuse and violence is never about sexuality and about being turned on and all of that. It's all about power, right? And so what he told me was the reason why they're uncomfortable talking about it is because they're struggling, struggling with it behind closed doors, right? They don't know what to do with it because they've been disempowered um, in the church growing up to even connect with your own body. I can't tell you just from the female um, people who own vulva standpoint of how many women haven't even looked down there to see what their vulva looks like, right? And so I can only imagine if there is this, this disconnecting of you and your body from the beginning and you start to feel these emotions, you don't know what to do with it. So from a spiritual standpoint, a theological way of understanding it, why they struggle so much is when you teach the law, again, the law is the ministry of condemnation. You ever have a little child and you tell them not to do something, what are they going to do? They're going to go do it. Yeah. Right. Um, If I say, don't think of a pink elephant, you just thought about a pink elephant. Right. And so if I'm continuously telling you, don't sin, don't sexually sin, don't, don't sin, don't sin. What are you constantly thinking about? Right. You're thinking about sexual sin. And so you think in your mind, the more I teach on it, maybe it's the more it's going to help me not to do it, but you're lying to yourself because that's not how our psychology works. The more that you teach on it, the, the bigger, cause you're so focused on it, right. it magnifies. And now you're hiding right? And you're looking at porn or you're looking at this young child, right? You're completely out of control, but you're praying it away. And then you forgive yourself and let me go teach it more to help other people, but you're so steeped into it. So the reason why I believe that there's a struggle is because of their own personal shame around sexuality. And that is like, they have shame. And so they put shame on everybody else, right? right? Um, and Jesus talked about this in the scripture, like you can't even carry the burden that you're giving other people to carry. Like you're struggling with this because you haven't understood that I'm a God of pleasure. You haven't understood that this was a gift to you. Um, you have understood that sex, when you come into that union with someone, right, it's supposed to be representative of my relationship with you, that it's supposed to feel good to be in relationship with God right? You don't know that. You can't believe that, 
because you're in what you think because of a wrong understanding of the Bible in a struggle with sin. Again, we go back to this thing. I'm not a sinner. You're not a sinner. But if you keep struggling with something, it's going to get bigger. And now you're in this loop of it. And now let's not talk about it because you might get called out. Right. And so it's just this like, it's so funny to me because if people just, if they just understood the gospel, really the way, like, if it's really the good news for those who are believers or understanding what I'm saying as I'm talking right now, if you just understood that this thing is a good thing and it is something to be honored and loved and not hated, you would preach much more messages that were holistic and complete from your pulpit that would be inclusive of sexuality in a very empowering way right instead of a disempowering way that is being taught right now because we have our leaders when they go home or maybe when they're done preaching go to their little study in the back pulling up their phones and hanging out on Pornhub Right. Right. Like, you say teach. Cause at first you were like, you, you said this and I, my, my antenna went up. Cause you said the more that they teach on it, the more you want to do it. And I was like, wait, what? And what you mean is when they're teaching, when, when religious leaders are teaching on sexuality, they're not really teaching on sexuality. They're teaching don't have sex. Exactly. Or don't do this. And that's not necessary. That's not actually teaching sexuality that's teaching how to avoid sexual sin and to to what not to do in as it pertains to sex and so when they teach on sexuality it leads to just wanting to think about the pink elephant Mm -hmm. and what you're saying is okay if you're going to teach on sexuality you need to actually teach on it teach pleasure teach love teach um a lack of legalism and instead respect instead of power it's equality and it's consent and what does that look like and just and and making it an enjoyable experience and not making it a scary object to avoid which I find you you me looking at I didn't grow up in the church and and like I said this isn't a religious organization but and for me it's easy I'm like well that makes perfect sense but again it goes back to this is a country that has you know, centuries of viewing sexuality in a certain way as bad. Mm-hmm. And how do we rewire and how do we, as a country, begin to break down some of those rules and have a conversation around sexuality as a good thing? Like, how, how do we do that? <laughs> we have to dethrone, we have to dethrone the white man, basically. Um, I mean, plainly, because all of these things is a threat to white cis masculinity. Okay, talk more about that. Talk more about that because I can already hear our white male listeners get very (laughs) defensive. Because what everyone listening, what you're not saying is men need to leave the church or that white men are bad. You're not saying that. And I know that's what some white men are going to hear. So talk more about (laughs) what you mean by that because I know, but I know some people don't. So yeah, elaborate. So I love white men. I dated you all when I was growing up. So no hate there, okay? What I'm saying is the the overprotection of masculinity, the overwhelming weight of protecting white men and their masculinity and their right to sex whenever, because let's start just, let's go back with just men and women, right? 
the need to protect a man's right to sex. I mean, even in the church, right? They tell the wives, like, don't deny your husband. If your husband wants right. it, give right. it to your husband. If you don't give it to your husband, if he goes out and cheat, then what, what who can you blame, right? You can't blame him. So that idea, that protection of their right to sex is where I see um, we can start to have a conversation. Okay. When we bring, when we dethrone, right? I say, and I'm being very, you know, crass on purpose for that. Um, but we bring that male white sexuality down the level with everybody else. Which don't make it top priority over Don't other make people. it top priority, right? We bring it down to equal standing right? That your sexuality is just as valid as mine. Your desire to express it is just as valid as mine, right? And then we can, because we all have to sit at the same table. I can't have a conversation with you if you're seated up above me trying to talk at me, right? So dethrone that, come listen at the table. Once we're equal, that we all have equal right to sex, to sexuality, if you're not, and this is not for people who are aromantic or asexual, if you are someone who is sexual and romantic, we all have equal rights and blessing from God to explore, enjoy, and have that. And we all do, right? So now that I'm on equal level with you having the conversation, now my ears are open to in what ways do you need to express your sexuality or your romantic attraction what does that look like for you because if i'm seeing it as the shared thing that god's given us and not it's not hold and held hostage by one population very minuscule population right, right? if you can share that it's a gift given to all of us right as the life that's been given to all of us, if we can see that it's our thing given from God, then I have the, the onus is on me to listen to how God shows up in your sexuality. Like, what does that look like for you? And having a spirit of curiosity that I am made in the image of God and I have a right and a, to express my sexuality and to sex and to romantic relationships and all of that. That means you're made in, if you're made an image of God, it has to be true for you too. Yeah. So that's the beginning point. And I said it, I said in a crass way, so people ears would perk up and listen. Um, so hopefully, <laughs> you know, they heard you, they heard, were able to hear what I'm saying. Yeah. Cause I think, I think you nailed it on the head. There is this, even myself who, mm-hmm. again, I know I've mentioned on here, I did not grow up going to church. Uh, my family was CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. And we, but even I, who grew up in the Bible Belt in Nashville, received Mm -hmm. messaging going to, you know, Christian organizations or Christian schools. I, it was very, very, it was made very clear to me that Mm -hmm. once I got married, it was my job to make sure to, it was, no, even it, it was, it was your husband's sexuality was the priority. It was my job to take care of that. My sexuality was never of any concern. My, my female friends were never of any concern. We were responsible for, right. And looking back, you think, oh my God, that's crazy. But at the time I remember as, you know, a a middle school, high high school, I guess you've been, you've been so used to it. I remember hearing that and be like, I guess that makes sense because it's so normal. It's all you, it's all I knew. And again, it, it goes back to the, a country and a culture that is 
I was not around for at the beginning of this was my whole life. This was many Christians. It's all they knew at the time or many people that grew up in America. It's all we know is that the white male sexuality is priority. And even if we don't explicitly say it, we inherently put it at top and feel responsible for satisfying that and making space for that. And anything else is secondary or third. And so I think that's like a mind trip to just realize that even if you don't go to church or are not religious, that's ideology still probably affected you. (laughs) You can't avoid it. It was, it was, it was like a pandemic all its own is how we view sexuality and how we view the white male sexuality as, as prime and high priority over others is something that we maybe not even did intentionally. But like I said, as a high schooler, what you're taught throughout your childhood and adolescence is not, you're not, in high school, I wasn't going and comparing how sexuality is viewed in other cultures and different, right. you're not doing that. You're taking right. what you're taught and you're, you're, you're eating it up as, as Bible. Right. And instead of evaluating it and actually holding it to light and saying, does this hold up? Right. And so that's a perfect example, I think, of how to do that. And kind of flows into my last question that I have for you. Mm-hmm. Why have these conversations? You know, we're keeping it kind of in the religious world right now, because I know that sexuality and religion are so overlapped in the American story. So yes. what do religion, if you are watching this and you are a religious leader or you are a leader in any capacity, mm-hmm. talking about sexuality and talking about LGBTQ rights and LGBTQ theology can be dangerous in your field. You can, you know, <laughs> it's seen as this, uh, topic, you know, I, you know, it was made very clear to me sometimes in certain positions that if I spoke about it, I'd lose my job. And so what do people gain from making space for this? What do leaders, what can they look forward to gaining from talking about this? Why is it so critical? I believe that it's critical because as a religious leader, you are not allowing yourself or the people that you lead to have a full experience in their relationship with God. Mm. Um, I like to think about spirituality and sexuality as two sides of the same coin. And so our spirituality is our desire to know God and to be known by God. And our sexuality is our desire to know others, right? And to be known by them. And so I can't fully live and enjoy my humanity if I'm not, if one part of this coin is like smacked and smeared and dirty and nobody wants to look at it and this is horrible, right. and I only have this spirituality because God made us human on purpose. Like sexuality, I mean, again, for the vulva owning people, the clitoris is simply for pleasure. It has no other purpose, right. but to give us pleasure. You want to ask who God's favorite is? I don't know. I'm just saying, Okay. So now <laughs> no, there's no anatomical benefit. I remember learning that there's no, it doesn't add oh, doesn't to our lives. Nothing. It doesn't do anything, but give us pleasure, which is a clue in that this is important to God. Our humanity is important to God. So if we are not able to have the conversation about sexuality, it's very difficult to have the conversation about pleasure. 
And if you can't have a conversation about pleasure, you find people putting themselves in different spaces that are anti who they are and they feel comfortable in the pain, they live with the pain because I'm taught not to prioritize feeling good and feeling safe. Right. And so if that's the thing, of course, I'm going to maybe and I'm not victim blaming anyone, but I'm, I'm going to interpret someone being abusive to me in maybe a romantic relationship as love to so someone demeaning me and my gender as love and understanding, because I haven't understood that my sexuality is a part of who I am on purpose by God. Right. And yeah. so it's important because you're cheating yourself in your congregation or whoever you're leading on the full experience of being human. Mm. Like we're here to, we're here to enjoy life. According to John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that you may have life and enjoy it to the full. So there's no fullness. If I can't not only like know that this beautiful body that I'm given, right. God has implanted into it ways for me to experience pleasure. I can't fully really understand who God is because I don't even know who I am or God can't even help me know who I am. You don't even know what turns you on. You know what parts of your body feels good. You don't know anything about yourself. And then you're teaching for people to go get married and they're in these marriages with terrible sex lives, right? Um, Because they don't even know that, hey, here's a really great sex tip invite God into that time. And I promise you, God knows how to turn that person on and you listen and they listen orgasms to the utmost. You want to know what God really wants for you? God wants you to have a good sex life. Okay. God wants you to enjoy. I I don't know anybody who would give you a gift and not tell you like how to use it. Well, and you could even invert it to make it sense for for those that are uncomfortable in this conversation. Because I know some of you listening are like taking your AirPods out because this is just crazy. But Especially if you're in the religious world, I know the world, the word orgasm in and of itself can just uh, <laughs> open and you'll be sucked into hell, but right. <laughs> to flip it on its head, to, to make, yeah. to invert it, it might mm-hmm. make more sense to people listening. If I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone who grew up super religious or maybe grew up uh, evangelical Christian or, or any sort of branch of Christianity. And I'm thinking, okay, if if God created humanity and sex is part of our experience, it's literally how we get here. I mean, sex is important. Right. Um, why would it be bad? And, and to, why, and, and maybe even flip another question, why would God, would God want you to be miserable in it? Would God, does God want it to be uncomfortable for you? And of course you would say, well, no, of course not. Okay, well, then that means that it would be the contrary. God wants it to be pleasurable for you. He wants it to be enjoyable for you. She wants it to be something you love. You know, God, they want it to be something that makes you feel connected. And so doing it, flipping that question on its head for me, I'm like, of course, that makes sense. Again, I didn't grow up in church, so this is all super for me. But I'm just putting myself in the shoes of someone who grew up Mm-hmm. believing a certain thing and you know I, I again I refer to God as he she they because I don't know I don't believe God has a penis or a vagina um <laughs> some people do and yeah. um but if, if I'm if I'm a human who grew up thinking fundamentalist Christian ideology then I'm flipping it on its head and saying does God want sex to be uncomfortable for me mm-hmm. no 
okay, so then it would have to be the opposite. Right. And that's where the conversation starts. And I feel like that's where our conversations end. It's like, and period. And that's as far yeah. as the church will go. So that's really helpful. Um, my last, my, just one more question that I don't know if I told you I was going to ask, but just uh, what are some, some tips for having these conversations if you're a leader, Christian or not? I mean, how do you, how do you have, have you, how do you have conversations around sexuality as a leader? Right. I would definitely make sure it's an environment that feels safe for you and for those people involved, right? Because there is, there are some things that need to be put in place before you start having, you don't, you're not going to like hop up on one Sunday and be like, let's talk about sex. Right. 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 Um, it would be, I would say you have to cultivate that environment, right. By first talking about pleasure, right. How great it feels to eat a, a cool chocolate. Today's national um, chocolate ice cream day. How great does it feel to eat a chocolate ice cream? Right. Like that feels really good. Right um food tastes good things smell great so god gave us things like what we need to eat to live but then god made food taste good right like yeah right and so it's like god made we have to drink water and all these other things but now we can like flavor water we can drink soda and juices like god made things there's a function but there's a beauty and enjoyment to it so if i can start there right starting the very mundane day-to-day things where people can see it and then you transition over well likewise right there's a you have this body and the the sexual pleasure isn't something too because we've had such a good job not learning it right we need a lot of help in learning it that it actually takes time to learn how to there's and there's tons of sexual embodiment coaches on Instagram as well, like to really learn how to stay in your body and to enjoy and sit with your emotions. Those things require help. We have to learn how to do that. It needs to be taught. And if you don't feel uh, like uh, informed enough to have the conversation, please hire someone to come in and then you can be in the room and have someone who's an expert in this bring that conversation. And I would say, do not be afraid to bring someone in that you've obviously vetted and talked to, to have this conversation where you're not specifically comfortable doing it, right? Um, And for those religious leaders who are listening, uh, a a good um, example would be Moses and Aaron, right? Moses was like, ah, I can't, I stuttered, I can't talk to these people, I can't talk to Pharaoh, I can't do it, find somebody else. And Jesus, God said, you know what? It's all right, you'll come, but I'm gonna go ahead and bring Aaron along with you. Aaron can speak for you because obviously you have troubles, right? So if you're a leader and you're like, just thinking about this is making my palms sweat, that's okay. Call your Aaron to come along to come and help you teach this because where else do you want them to learn this information? On TV? In the music videos? Right. Heck no, right? Why not bring it into space um, where they can talk about it that's inclusive and, and integrative of their faith and what it's actually going to do yeah. that maybe leaders don't think about is that it's actually going to empower people to make better decisions. If I know it's supposed to feel good and I know it's supposed to feel safe, this is specifically too for people who talk to teenagers. If I know that this is how it's supposed to feel, if I find myself in a situation that doesn't feel good, I'm going to be more willing and able to step away from that because I know God is for my pleasure, right? Yeah. So it's going to do, it's going to have a beautiful side effect um, that maybe you're not planning for, 
but it's definitely worth it. So start in a safe environment, um, start very little, the things that in, it's in our everyday life with pleasure, right? And then transition. And if you're having a difficult time having that conversation, bring in an expert to have this conversation that can facilitate um, these, this type of learning. Amazing. Amazing. Yema, thank you. Oh my God, even my dog is sad that this conversation is coming to an end. Oh my God, talking about it all day. It has been an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you. I cannot stress this enough. Everyone listening, please follow Yema on Instagram. I'm going to link it below. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, just head over to our Instagram. She's going to be on our feed. I'll, I'll have tagged you by then. Um, yes. Yema on Instagram. You are a wealth of knowledge. Uh, you do your research and your due diligence and it shows. And I'm so grateful for all the content you put out because you're doing incredible work and cultivating incredible dialogue, which is what we're all about. Uh, any closing thoughts? Where else you got anything new you'd like to plug or places to find you? Sure. Well, right now, if you are an LGBTQ plus Christian and you're professional, you're struggling with this, maybe you're in a relationship and it's kind of progressing and you're starting to find yourself in like cycles of doubt and fear, go to my Instagram, um, follow me on there. And I, I have a program called Confidently Clear that you can join and we can actually get this work done to really uh, get you to this place of where you're hundred percent confident that being who you are is not a sin. So you can live open, free, authentic, and actually enjoy your life and your relationship with God. That sounds incredible. And I'll put all of those resources again. If you're watching on Instagram, it's going to be in our bio. And if you're on podcasts, just head over to our Instagram. All of Yama's information is going to be right there. All of her courses and everything you can sign right up. Yama, thank you so, so much for talking with us. And we'll have to have you on again soon. Thank you. All right. I'll see you later. Bye.